Hey, what's going on? This is the Educated Guest Podcast. I'm Justin, your host. This is a virtual art school, and it's built for multidisciplinarians who care about craft and who want to develop themselves in a new type of way, a way that's not necessarily transactional, where I give you two or three extra skills that'll make you two or three extra dollars. I'm talking about something that's a little bit more transformational, something that's exponential, something that's truly an investment in the way that you never graduate. And that's the new mindset that we're hoping to adopt. And our uh, our slogan is actually still learning. And I might start using the slogan, never graduate as well. I kind of like that. That came off the, came off the dome. Um, Nonetheless, we got three segments, three pillars that we use to sort of deliver information and teach in this way, in this segment, in this in this environment. Um, the first of which comes on Mondays. That is called our incomplete thoughts segment. The second is called work study. Work study is all about templates, tactics, as opposed to the mindset training on Mondays. Templates, tactics, how tos, the way that you get information across, and then. And if you're trying to build your own studio or agency or get that dream job that you want. And then on Fridays, we have what is called our well-read segment. Well-read is all about finding new inspiration, resetting your algorithm, so to speak, and um, finding a new way of being. So that will that may or may not be a monologue versus a dialogue. Sometimes we bring on guests and sometimes you just hear from me. All right. So that said, today's episode is dedicated to the future and if you know me if you've been listening if you've been a part of this community for quite a while then you know me as a lover for the future and a lover for disruptive technology the name of this episode is how to plan for disruption and my background is actually obviously in art and design but also I've worked in in high tech for for a number of years and I have quite a bit to say on the subject of innovation or disruption and I have some people I want to point you to, and um, I've worked at it in a high level. I haven't you know, just dabbled on the internet and sort of read random articles. I've actually seen things disrupt in practice, and I've also seen disruptive um, the pace at which disruption sort of happens and try to ant- trying to anticipate it, working inside of a group where your, fo- your sole focus is to anticipate what is next. And now I'm on other things, but I can reference some of those experiences as case stories or case studies on why this stuff matters. So what we're talking about today and how to plan for disruption is particularly relevant for the time that we're in right now, because as we all know, things are currently being disrupted, not as a factor of technology, but as a factor of circumstance. And I want to talk today about some common questions that people are often particularly in the creative field, because this is an art school, particularly in the creative field, people usually ask the question of, so how does, how does technology impact the future? What, you know, what should, what should we be paying attention to and what should we ignore for now? And what will happen to the way that we raise our kids and govern our nations and generate wealth and care for the planet and all these different things? Like what are, our fundamental tasks and what what things are changing fundamentally in the way that we do these things. Um, and how do you stay abreast of this information? So at Educated Guests, we've been doing a lot of research in this space. And um, of course, we found 
many, many different examples of frameworks and how to's and templates like we talk about um, that serve as almost a pragmatic tool for evaluating the future. But the good news is that we figured out and we figured we'd save you some time of your own because you could go do this on your own and go find and read whatever books you want to read and um, visit the Gardner hype cycle and all these different things. Um, but that might take you some months as opposed to some minutes and just taking the time to listen, listen to what we're about to say today. Um, and aimlessly sort of searching through Google is what you would be doing. Um, so today I'm actually going to draw reference to a particular uh, inspiration of mine personally and sort of an inspiration of this future series where we talked to Peter Diamandis and he is a co-founder. Most people may or may not have heard of his name, uh, but I'm about to tell you who he is because he's particularly someone you should be paying attention to if you're interested in this space. So he's a co-founder and chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation. I'll just let you go and look, look up what that is. Singularity University. I'll also go let you look up what that is. And a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm going to make reference to one of the books that I'm reading. And um, you can go look up the other books that he's also written. And by the way, he happens to hold degrees in molecular genetics and aerospace engineering from MIT and an MD from Harvard Medical School. So this is a doctor who also has a degree in molecular genetics and aerospace engineering. It's quite the brilliant man. Um, and as an entrepreneur, no, I haven't even talked about what he's done, but he started over 20 companies in the areas of longevity, space, venture capital, and education, pretty much all things that kind of matter and all sectors that sort of matter. And he's co-founder of Bold Capital Partners, which is a venture fund, um, over $250 million in, in, in under management in these sorts of exponential technologies we're about to talk about. So the thing about this, um, this is this framework for the future and planning for disruption. It's important that you know how to slow down the bullets. And what I'm going to pull is from actually one of his older books um, entitled Bold. Uh, but it's important you know how to slow down the bullets with a framework so that you're not chasing after every single shiny object. Imagine if you have sort of, if you as a singular being are, are this energy, are this force of energy, which you are. And, you know, if you, as you know, physically, you can exert energy in all these different ways. You can push against that wall, push against this wall. And if you're trying to spin two different plates on two different poles, then your attention is then split in two. Of course, this is basics, but it's easy for us to understand these things when we are, when we are very uh, <laughs> in the physical realm, if you will. Like it's easy to understand that it's harder. It's easy to understand that running a race with your shoes tied is probably much easier than running a race with your shoes untied. So the reason why we introduce these frameworks is important because we're trying to tie the shoes of creative thinking. We're trying to tie the shoes of freeing up your mind for more things, more things to work on. It's like having a template for recording, recording your vocals. Like, do you think every single time Drake comes in the studio and tries to, tries to record a verse, do you think 40 is sitting there trying to load up a new vocal chain for him? Absolutely not. Because you don't have time to start of make, like make a new Drake, Drake vocal every time. That's why his sound 
is the same across the board. And he can just go and do what he does. And what we're trying to do is introduce new templates for the way that you think and work and act creatively so that you can sort of move at a pace that makes sense for you. So before you start thinking about, oh, I've heard of blockchain. I know that's important. Is he going to say something about AI? Is he going to say something about gene therapy? Is he going to say something about uh, 3D printing and the new realms of how that's used? Is he going to say anything about nanotechnology? Like what I'm actually talking about today is not anything close to any of those because those are just as transient as something like um, cloud computing was five to seven years ago. I think that would be about right. Or you know, probably more than that, probably 15 to 20 years ago, depending on where you live. Um, or as transient as something like a laptop or the cell phone. Like these, these revolutions aren't exactly, these like technologies aren't exactly the things that are good predictors of the future. These are lagging indicators, what are called lagging indicators, meaning the things that you pay attention to. It's like if you're, um, if you're anything that, if you're in, if you, I can't speak. If you play any sport that requires a combination of precision and accuracy, then you understand this concept. Think about target practice or golf or um, basketball, anything that requires some aiming component and some consistent aiming component, some consistency of the aiming. Um, a lagging indicator for basketball, this is just basics. A lagging indicator for basketball is you missing a shot five inches to the right, so you think you need to aim five inches to the left. While that may or may not be true, there are several, several other factors before it reaches the basket that indicate that you missed the shot five inches to the right of the rim. Um, it could be your elbow. It could be the height of your jump. It could be the arc of your shot. It could be the spin on the ball. It could be, you know, that's why you focus as closely to yourself as you possibly can so that the missed shot is not the missed or the made shot is not the indicator that you're using for repeated success. Meaning the thing that worked for the thing that worked for the release of the cell phone or the fact that artificial intelligence is now hot, then we need to get on that. Or the fact that AR, VR is the new thing or whatever the new thing is, you don't want to be in the place where you're following the new thing. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, you want to be in a place where you are anticipating the future, anticipating the disruption, anticipating these things. You want to be on the leading side, the leading edge of the future. All right. So the book that I referenced earlier, Bold, while I haven't read it, there's a significant amount of reference to it in, in another book um, called The Future is Faster Than You Think, which is his most recent um, release. I think it came out maybe late 2019, early 2020, something like that. Uh, but he makes reference to this idea of exponentials. And remember, remember when I'm saying that Gartner had it, Gartner is a research company. Um, if you just Google Gartner, you'll find out what they do. And they have this thing called the Gartner hype cycle, which helps you anticipate. It's like a curve of exponential technologies. And you can kind of look at that and see, oh, wait, like, yeah, I do remember when we all thought there were going to be flying cars and that never happened. So why not? Like everybody has, every organization has this sort of curve of expectation, but not everybody um, sort of talks about it in the same way or or manifest the thought leadership in a, in a similar way. So I like this particular method. That's why I'm sharing it today. 
And it's called the six D's of exponentials, the six D's of exponentials. And each D represents a crucial phase of development for understanding or the development of exponential technology. So something like cloud computing had to go through all six of these stages, something like, um, let's say, what's another exponential technology? I mean, gene therapy is very popular or solar, solar technology, solar panels or wind turbines or what have you. Like these things all had to go through these sort of um, six stages of evolution, if you will. So before you can have this huge upheaval, you have to have these small moments of, of promise. And we will talk about that in just a second once we go through each of the Ds. Um, but what I hope that you get out of this is an understanding of three things is that, number one, I want you to be on the end of creation and not consumption. And you'll see how that manufactures its, or plays itself out from end to end. Number two is I want you to create the future in order to predict it. And then number three, I want you to always be training the data of your mission, training the data of your mission. And we'll talk about that in, um, later in the show. All right. So number one, number one, the, the, the first of the six D's of exponentials is digitalization. And this might seem like, however, it seems to you, if it seems okay, well, I don't know if that's how I would have started it, but you'll, it'll make more sense as you go through the six phases so the first stage of digitalization is meaning when you can translate, and this is how it's referred to, is when you can translate the concept into ones and zeros of binary code, it jumps on the back of Moore's Law. And Moore's Law is something you should probably go research on your own. Um, it's different than, it's not Murphy's Law. <laughs> so when you research both of those, you'll understand why I, why I chuckle at that because it's very two very different things. Um and begins accelerating exponentially. So the thing is, um, and another law to research is probably Rose's law. So research those three laws. That's the homework of this first D is to research what Moore's law is, research what Murphy's law is, and then research what Rose's law is. You understand that one of the three do not fit, and then the other two are very compatible with one another in ref and um, particularly uh, pertinent to what we're talking about. All right. So number two, number two is this idea of deception. So deceptive growth. And during these sort of early days of exponential growth and think of any technology that's new, like cloud computing, I think is probably one that we've seen go all the way through this, this, this idea or sort of this, um, this exponential curve. Cloud computing had to enter a day where um, the doubling and sort of like the adoption rate was very slow. People were skeptical of it. You know, everything from the Kodak digital camera that was so incredibly impactful, like the digital camera, the fact that you could produce images at a certain megapixel. Like, like think probably the early digital cameras were like 0 0.01 megapixels or, you know, you were able to capture, some, capture something at 0 0.02, 0 0.04, 0 0.08. Either way, nobody cares because... There's no jump. Another good example is with storage space, like cloud storage. That's why I bring up the example of cloud computing. Because when you think about cloud storage, everybody knows that they're not thinking about bytes and byte size and bytes of storage. They're thinking about 
what they are trying to offload to something else. If you think about it, like first stage of, of cloud cloud computing is usually in like document management. I don't know the history of it exactly, but how it usually occurs for the masses is like, oh, well, I can put like a Word doc on in the cloud. That's kind of cool. And I can see it everywhere. And then the next thing is like, oh, wait, I can put like images in the cloud. That's kind of cool. Like low res images. Like I can kind of show my friend this thing over here and it said, and it was over here, but I don't have to have that other thing that I showed that I usually have it on in order to show them to him over here. And then it starts going into videos and it starts going into, but like thinking about it, that's how we remember it. But the actual, and this is the stage here is this deceptive growth is that nobody's paying attention to the incremental nuances, the incremental steps. And this is true for business too, which is an interesting parallel. I just realized is like, if you own a studio, nobody pays attention to, you know, the first $500 you make or the first $5,000 you make or the first $7,000 you make. This is the overnight success template all over again. But if you think about cloud computing, you have this sort of template where um, this time period where I imagine something like Dropbox, which has an interesting um, release story, if you go back and read it, um, how they released on this like private subreddit, I think, or something like that. And um, it's particularly nuanced and particularly targeted to developers and um, people who were very into this cloud computing movement at the time. And then out of nowhere, like all of a sudden people putting everything on Dropbox. So there's this idea of deceptive growth that you have to pay attention to. Um, that's stage two. St stage three is disruptive growth. Disruptive growth. So what follows this early deceptive growth is disruption, meaning you know, 30 doublings of the initial thing later. It, and it, it eventually grows into something that's un, unimaginably large. So imagine, I mean, this is where the unicorn example starts coming from with cloud computing, where you have what goes from like a little subreddit or whatever, whatever platform that was on, actually it goes from the subreddit. And next thing you know, you start having entire countries your entire companies, even um, adopting this technology where you have an entire backend system built off of Dropbox, Dropbox storage, or, you know, you start having and that, then you have the incumbents start building competitive products to, fight off this disruption. And next thing you know, they're saying that they're cannibalizing things like some, it's going to go across the board. There's so many examples. We've been living through it in the past 15, in the past 15, 20 years, you know, Napster is very similar to this where you have, you know, this small little nuance sort of punk rocks where let, let me get this free album. And then 10 years later, the most popular streaming platform arguably in the world is literally a copy of Napster just with, ability to figure out the business model behind it. So it's kind of crazy how that all works. Uh, another example here is 3D printing. So this is, you know, a single exponential technology that it threatens really an entire trillion dollar manufacturing sector right now. That's happening as we speak, particularly with the virus, particularly with pandemics, particularly with this known, this new known like publicly known, widespread known uh, enemy of the world of, you know, deadly viruses. 
people are not going to want to, people are going to do very low friction, very low touch things across the board. It's digitizing. And um, this idea of disruptive technologies in the third phase of disruption, we can see it. I, I love the 3D printing example because I very vividly remember in like 2012, 2013, that was around the time frame. If you look at every Gartner hype cycle, every single article back then, 3D printing was just like a cool new fad. Like, oh yeah, I got a 3D printer in my room. I got a 3D printer here. Like, oh wow, I just 3D printed, you know, I don't know, some weird shape and it doesn't do anything. And then people started thinking that 3D printers were, were um, deceptively growing. You, they started to think that, oh, wait a minute. Like, I'm not really sure if this is going to work out for everyone. Um, I can't necessarily find a use for it, so it must not be useful. That was the right. And then you ask anyone who's heard about 3D printers right now, what is the value of a 3D printer? Unless they work in the spaces of manufacturing or um, in general um, design or industrial design, they don't really know like what the value of a 3D printer could be to anyone. But little do they know is that currently you can 3D print almost any element on the periodic table of elements. Like think about, think about that. Like you can merge others, you can merge them together, you can create, and that's how you have companies that are 3D, literally 3D printing rocket parts, 3D printing houses, 3D printing, you know, PPE for healthcare workers, 3D printing furniture, 3D printing everything you can imagine. If you can, if you can funnel any um, periodic table of, of any element into a 3D printer and learn how to do that at efficiently and at scale, then you've created a new disruptive factor. In it. And that's why old, the old guard is now terribly, terribly, terribly afraid of something like 3D printing cannibalizing their entire industry. So pay attention to this disruption factor, disruption phase as the third step of six in planning for disruption. So the fourth stage, and it's notice, you notice how, um, <laughs> you notice how the thing people typically think of is like, ah, oh, well, man, like that 3D printing thing is already gone. Like I haven't even, man, I, pff, I don't know anything about 3D printed houses. So I guess I've missed that boat. Well, the interesting thing is that the boat is just, just now setting sail. People are just now getting on the boat if you're paying attention to what's really going on. So the next phase is called demonetization. And again, these are, these are the six D's of exponentials. You can go research them. I'm just kind of walking you through um, the particularly the particular application for this industry that we're in. So if you're in sort of multidisciplinary art and design, if you are in, um, if you are an agency owner, if you're a studio owner, if you are a, uh, small firm owner, a practice owner, like I'm particularly talking to those folks because they're concerned about where their next client's going to come from. They're concerned about where their next, you know, check is going to come from. And they're concerned about adding the value in anticipation for what's coming next, particularly during this time. So it's important that you understand the different frames of mind and thinking about the future. And this is one of them. So demonetization is the fourth stage. So demonetization is where a product or a service once had a cost, now money vanishes from the equation. And you're like, how is that possible? How does money vanish from the equation? So an example here is 
photographs were once expensive, right? Like we all, for the most part, everybody who is of age to be listening to this at this point in time and who's older than roughly 18, I imagine, like you remember when you had to go to Walgreens and produce images and, you know, even older than that, you had to uh, go and get your images developed and get the negatives developed and you had to buy film. Like these are, it costs money to even start to create a photograph. You know, you took limited numbers of pictures because film and developing that film costs a lot of money. And it still kind of does. Like if you shoot on film right now, I know I have a number number of friends who do. It's not cheap. It's an expensive, it's a relatively expensive hobby if you built up a habit of taking pictures at the clip that we take them on our phones now. So once photos became digital, these costs vanished. So now you have, now you take the photos without thinking of them and the difficulty comes in sorting through too many options. It's a new type of difficulty. So demonetization is something to always, always, always be paying attention to, um, particularly as we go through this, this stage of, 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 um, of exponential anticipation of exponential technology. So pay attention to those things. Um, the fifth step is dematerialization dematerialization so very simply now the products disappear the products themselves disappear and they're not actually disappearing they're just condensing they're converging and that's another key word to pay attention to is the convergence of different technologies and that's actually the very basis for how you develop a cyberpunk film and i know it's a huge jump out of nowhere but pay attention in very in cyberpunk um, cyberpunk examples are like The Matrix, uh, Akira is a good example, um, Ghost in the Shell, Blade Runner, like all of these cyberpunk movies that are almost like cult favorites. And even like some of them are, you know, widespread successes. There's usually very consistent practices, even uh, what's another favorite of mine? Um, Minority Report. So in these movies, you have a central hub a, a monolith of converged technologies that creates a monopoly on the way that we work. Um, Skynet is typically how people refer to it, but at the same time, like it's very different in all these different films, but that's how it actually ends up happening without proper governance and regulation around how people use technology. So that's a whole different episode or topic. However, what we're talking about today is this idea of dematerialization. And thinking about it very tactically for your daily life, the easiest example is the, cam- the camera, the stereo, video game consoles, TVs, GPS systems, calculators, you know, all these different things that were once independent products are now standard on any smartphone. Think about that. And always, I, anytime I'm talking to you know, people that I coach and I mentor and people that are part of our program. I'm always talking to them about this idea of um, thinking in the physical. You know, digital thinking is tough after a certain period of time because um, you tr- you start trying to, you, you remove the idea of principle and you start thinking about fad or trend. So when you think about principle, it's very easy to think about principle in, in terms of thinking of something as a storefront as opposed to a website. 
I don't know why, but particularly for our generation who still remembers the idea of a storefront, it's easier to think that way. Um, and that might be a sign of getting old, but that's just a sign. The thing here is that if you think about the idea that you used to have to buy a GPS in a package, a Garmin, I don't even remember the other brands, uh, calculators you had to buy in a separate package, paper you had to buy in a separate package, yeah, you had to go to a matchmaker. You had to physically sit down. I don't, I don't even remember that. Like all the matchmakers I've ever heard of were like, um, you know, dot coms, post, post, uh, post digitization, if you will. And video game consoles, you had to go and physically buy a Game Boy in order to pay, play games mobily. But now you can just simply go to a smartphone. And this has been a thing for a long time, but people, some people may or may not realize what is happening. They just recognize that, oh, yeah, the, of course the smartphone is, you know, the power of your supercomputer, like has more power in your smartphone than the first supercomputer ever did. I mean, I think it's something, something like uh, all the computers that were used to power the first ship to the moon, um, and create the first moon landing all exists in pales in comparison to what is in your pocket right now. I think it's something like that. Um, everybody kind of knows that at this point, but what they don't know is how to predict or how to anticipate the next thing. And the sixth step of the six D's of exponentials is democratization. And that's what we're paying attention to now. You know, the exponential is scaled and it's grown and it's gone wide and you know, cell phones were once this idea where like only business people had it and they were brick size instruments and, you know, people carried them around in briefcases and that sort of thing. And they were thousands of dollars. Like they were not cheap and only the wealthy really had them. And they have like a cord attached to the briefcase and it was a thing. Um, but today, almost everyone has one. I mean, there are about 8 billion people on the planet at this point, And you know, I think a large majority, well over the majority has a cell phone. I believe I don't don't quote me on that, but it's it's a large enough number that you can argue that we will be moving to full digitization very, very soon. And being able to make everyone give everyone the availability to, you know, find anything they wanted at any given point and, you know, almost levels the playing field for people across the board. You know, it creates a, and I highly, highly recommend that you go read um, Peter's book. Um, the future is faster than you think. I don't receive any credit or anything like that or affiliate link. I'm not getting paid to say that. I truly just believe in the book and I would highly recommend that you go and you um, uncover what happens next after you go through these six stages, because ultimately, um, it becomes a humanist game. And that's where that's where the value of the liberal arts comes into play. And that's why I felt it particularly um, important. I felt it to be particularly important for us as multidisciplinary creatives to have a position or have an understanding of what is going on digitally so that you can know what to do and how to play and how to add value. Because as a liberal artist, as some as an artist in general, you add the humanist perspective to what is becoming the capitalist way of doing things. And it's not to say that capitalism is bad. Generally speaking, it's the best system that we've seen today. And that's, you know, a widely believed 
um, it's a widely, widely believed statement. And I'm sure there are people, many people who argue with me, namely people in the Eastern Hemisphere, but I'm really not here to argue about capitalism versus alternative methods of economies. I'm here to say that as a liberal artist, as someone who is a participant, is a participant, a purveyor of the arts, it's important that you understand a framework for understanding what is coming at you so that you can humanize it and make it available to the public in ways that is responsible and respectful of all people involved. And we, that's why we see roles coming up right now of like head, heads of inclusive design. We see roles of, you know, heads of um, whatever the role is. Inclusive design is a very, very important, um, very, very important role right now because we're not really talking about whether or not dis- disruptive technologies can be created. It's more so a conversation about what is a responsible way to adopt and adapt to these technologies. And I th- really, really think that creatives are the most important people in that equation. I really, really think that artists have a unique way of um, anticipating the human spirit of what we of you know what should remain the human spirit over a period over a longer long enough timeline, and being able to cater to that human spirit in a respectful and responsible way. And I think those who can do that. The best will be compensated for those efforts, and those who fail to do that will not be compensated for the efforts. That's where capitalism will play. Um, so the reason why I introduced all this today is because I want to start talking more about um, factors of the future. I think this might be a, a an ongoing series, particularly for the work-study segment, um, where we talk about the future, where we talk about things to anticipate, things to adapt to, things to adopt, and how to actually adopt these things and bring them into your practice. It's very, very important that you do so. So that said, that's all I have for today. If you want more content like this, um, you can do two things. One, go to our website, educated-guest.com. Go to our website, educated-guest.com. And then also you can follow us at educated underscore underscore guests on instagram um if you're curious about how to talk to me directly just give the dm um give the educated guests page a dm and we'll we'll respond to you there and um, we'll hop on the phone we'll hop on the uh, you can book a session with me and we'll just talk one-on-one if you're curious about some more of this content that said that's all i have and we'll talk soon all right peace